0: Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host Ed Marks.
1: Welcome to Digital Voices. This is Ed, and so excited to have you with us again. And another, another, another exciting uh, drop that we have for you uh, this time. We have my friend Ben Rooks. Ben, welcome to Digital Voices.
0: Thanks, Ed. I appreciate the invitation.
1: So we're gonna get we're gonna jump right into all things you know related to investment, healthcare, IT, JP Morgan. But first, Megan, before we get going, do you do investing? And if no, what healthcare related investment would you consider?
0: I don't know. I don't. It's a world that's a little scary to me. Um, Looking forward to learning and hearing more about it in today's episode.
1: Well, Ben is a strategist and advisor uh, to many organizations and will probably provide some keen insights. And Ben, I'm thinking we first met maybe four years ago. I was kind of dabbling in the area of PE, VC, and a friend of ours, CEO of some company, connected you and I. And you were very gracious with your time. I'll, I'll never forget that. So thank you for imparting your wisdom uh, to me, I learned so much. I thought, hey, we should have you on Digital Voices. So again, uh, welcome. Thanks, Ed. And then shortly after that, I recall you had some. I don't know if you're doing it again this year, but I think you're you're very famous for these great wine um, receptions uh, related to J.P. Morgan. Maybe the day before J.P. Morgan. So is that still on tap? Do those still happen today?
0: Yes. Uh, I've, I'm doing, in light of COVID, I am doing it instead of 6 to 9 p.m. Saturday night, I'm doing it from 3 to 6 p.m., but we're expecting a lot of rain in the Bay Area. So I have a tent coming uh, so we can do it outside, but we'll see what happens. And this all started uh, because when I started my own advisory practice, I was living in Chicago, and, but had a home in Sonoma, and the best thing about the work I do, one of the best things, which I think you wanted to talk about later, is I get to choose who I work with. And I thought, I I work with, I know all these great people. So I said, hey, if you're coming out to San Francisco for J.P. Morgan, um, come early, spend the weekend in wine country, party at Ben's house. And it grew from about 30 people to I think pre-COVID, it was about 90 people, and this year it will be 60-something, I hope. Weather permitting. <laughs> right. A no, year.
1: I think that's awesome that you do it. I know I was a beneficiary of that. My wife and I got to meet a lot of great people and uh, get to hang out with you a bit. Ben, before we, yeah, before we jump into uh, ST Advisors, I want to talk about what's on your playlist. Everyone w- wants to know, hey, what's on uh, Ben's playlist?
0: Uh- I would say it's split between jazz. Uh, I was just recently introduced by a friend to the guitarist, Kenny Burrell, and I'm really liking him. And the other thing I listen to a lot of is Broadway, which I've always been a fan of. Uh, And in one of the, uh, for playlists, one of the few trends other than work from home that I was ahead of was I switched from Spotify to Amazon Music uh, after the public health letter came out from all these um, public health people talking about Spotify and having uh, podcasters who were not cognizant of healthcare.
1: Yeah, that's good. And I, 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 like some of the same music, but I'll have to check in on this uh, Kenny Burrell, right? That's how you say it Burrell. Yep. All right. And what about life message or mantra? Is there, Ben, is there some sort of uh, words that you live by that help you sort of guide your way through life?
0: So there's, there's two uh, and I'm torn to, two. two Mantras or messages. Um, A college roommate gave me a bumper sticker that said, "Life is too short to drink bad wine," Um, and I think that can apply to more than just wine. It's life in general. Yeah. Maybe it was foreshadowing since I live (laughs) in Sonoma now. Um, And the other is something my hunter jumper horseback riding trainer said to me once when I was doing a jump. She said, "We lift up to be brave, Ben," and I love that about lifting up and being brave. And and I thought. That was another phrase to live by. I put it. Uh, I printed it out and put it on my monitor for a number of years afterwards.
1: That's cool. So Ben, do you still horse jump?
0: No, I stopped doing that when I left Chicago and moved to Chicago and uh, moved to San Francisco in 2009. I miss it, but the I'm a little more risk averse as my bones and body gets older.
1: <laughs> no, I, I hear that. How high, I'm just curious, because I don't know. I've never talked to someone who jumps, jumped horses before. How high would a would a good uh, height be that a horse would jump, like at the Olympics or something? Oh,
0: Olympic horses were probably doing like six feet. I'm not even sure. Really tall. When yeah. I was riding a lot and I could do like three foot, three foot two regularly, I thought I was pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. But by serious jumper standards, that's like a warm-up. Uh, I like it because I live in my head a lot. And when you're cantering at a jump, the only thing in the world is cantering at a jump. And that sort of focus is, uh, I, I find to be really good for me. The only thing I find that rivaled it is um, indoor rock climbing. And I've started doing that a little bit again.
1: Well, that that's not very risk adverse there, indoor rock climbing. Although I, I know you've got a belay something holding you up on the other exactly. end. But,
0: and as I always say, yeah. I like the fact at a climbing gym, there's someone whose job it is is to make sure that the thing I'm about to grab onto or put weight on is to make sure it's really attached. I've never done outdoor yeah. rock climbing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that, those are those are all fun fun things to do for sure. So let's talk about ST advisors. Sort of share your story. I know your story, but our audience may not know your story. How did you get to where you are today, living in Sonoma, providing a lot of advice to companies, uh, investments, those sort of things? You know, how did how did you get there? Sure.
0: Um, I, I think I've always worked in healthcare. Um, my MBA is in healthcare management. I worked in healthcare consulting before Wharton. Um, I had a couple of different jobs afterwards. And then I became an equity research analyst. And I spent 10 years as a sell side analyst covering healthcare IT way before it was a cool and sexy sector. Uh, I did that from 93 to 2002 or so. And I I became a research analyst because I love the sector more than I love the stock market. Um, you know, so Megan, there's hope for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but being an analyst, you're paid to learn and you're paid to have opinions. And I like learning and I guess I'm pretty opinionated uh, even back then. <clears throat> so I did that for 10 years. And then after 10 years of listening to earnings calls, um, I, it was just time for a change. I was getting bored with it because like, you, you know, the wine was becoming bad for me. Um, and so I was, I left research and was helping a company think about capital strategy. Should we, it was the last e-health, as they called digital health back in the dot-com era, <clears throat> the last e-health IPO. And they were thinking, should I buy a company? Who could I buy? Could we sell? Who might want to buy us? And I thought, wow, this is a lot more interesting than, what is Sterners new bookings and R&D spend going to be 18 months from now? Maybe I should try investment banking. And I did that, and I spent six years as an investment banker, uh, a senior banker, uh, more focused on the strategy and how the pieces fit together than executing transactions. Um, But the wine was definitely bad there for me, not a good fit for who I was and what my values were. So in 2009, I started ST Advisors, where I could take what I liked about research and what I liked about banking, leave behind the bad parts and a a really good friend and mentor of mine. I guess she was a mentor before. Now she's just a really good friend. When I was telling her about it, she said, you know, Ben, this is your real career. Everything you've been doing up till now is set up for it. And so as i said i've been st advisors since 2009 and it is the longest job i've ever had
1: no that, that's awesome and and you're right yeah we all have these background experiences that help make us who we are and help prepare us for this the you know the blossoming of our career and for you clearly with st advisors so what what does a day you know i'm sure no day no two days are the same but generally ben what does a day or week <coughs> look like for someone like yourself you know doing the work that you do
0: it's it's really focused on talking to companies and people out in the market and communicating with them. One of the things, as you said, days are all different. Uh, I like the fact that it's varied. So I'm, at any given time, I look back on my calendar to think about this, and we're helping a high deductible health plan focused company navigate a transaction, being the birthing coach to the investment banker's obstetrician, or... We're helping a software as a medical device company uh, think through: should we go into the sort add a services offering, or we're helping a couple different clients think through an M and A strategy, and who could they buy, and what would be interesting in reaching out to those targets, or CEOs call to because they need a consigliere from time to time.
1: <laughs> no, that's that's pretty exciting. What does success look like uh, to ST advisors and to the companies that you serve? And then probably they're one in the same. But, you know, when you do your reflections or after you finish a particular uh, project, how do you know that you're successful? What are what are some of the KPIs, if you will?
0: I think it's really about having an impact for me. And that was what became frustrating as a research analyst or to a certain extent, even as a banker. I really wanted ST advisors to have an impact on the companies we worked with and the CEO clients that we serve and advise. So having a CEO say at the end of a call, this is great, it's like you're a board member, but you're not a fiduciary, so I can say anything to you. That feels really good, that felt like a real success. Uh, having, we were co-advising on a sale of a business and the investors brought us in to help the investment bank and we were talking to a counterparty, a private equity investor who was thinking about looking at it, and he said, this is great. It's always, it's so unusual to get thoughtful, honest perspective about a target. I really appreciate it. And he knew how we were being paid, but I thought that was really a great endorsement. Um, Helping a company find a transformational acquisition, even if it's a small one, but it really can help change the course of their business by expanding their product service offerings. That's another example of success.
1: Yeah, those are good ones. So if someone is like a CEO of a company or on the board of a company and they're like, hey, we need some help, we need to check some things out, whether it's growth, M&A, they would pick up the phone and call Ben, ST Advisors.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, We talk about helping companies that want to buy or sell or grow, um, or just need someone who's, it doesn't have to be about buying or selling, when another CEO I spoke to when I started my consultancy and described what I was looking to do with companies, she said, you know, Ben, when I became a CEO, I remember a friend said, well, Sheila, no one's ever going to be honest with you again. And for better or worse, um, being honest is a core value for me and for my partner, Michelle. And being that source of truth for CEOs, I think, is it's an honor and it's one we take really seriously.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's always good to have sort of that independent voice. You don't report up to any to that CEO as an example. Uh and so you can really say whatever, you know, is the truth um and that's something that both parties appreciate. What's what's the hardest part about sort of running your own firm? I know you have a partner, but you're still pretty much running the f- firm together. Uh and then what's the what's what's the the, be- the best parts and the hardest parts?
0: Okay. The best part is a much longer list. Um, I work with great companies and great people. Um, When I started, my goal was I only wanted to have clients where I could be like, oh, Ed, you're coming to San Francisco, let's have dinner, Uh, and really mean it, not just client management. And I think that was clearly aspirational. But I think we've done a really good job at that and become really close friends with a number of the people I work with. And that's really an honor. Uh, And it's also great because we get involved in really important decisions. And that's fun and interesting. Um, The worst part, and I didn't necessarily expect it, uh, you know, I don't have, you know, I had to go out and get a payroll vendor and a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. uh, And Michelle went out and got us a bunch of contractors to do research. uh, And every so often, like, I'm going to kill the IT guy. Oh, (laughs) wait, I'm the IT guy. (laughs) Right, And I think that's true of a lot of entrepreneurs in general. Yeah, um, And so the things like that are just, a, I don't have a travel department. You know, it, it's the yeah. the little things of running a business and dealing with the sort of day-to-day minutiae. Uh, but I would not trade it for uh, all the proverbial tea in China.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there, there's always a... Pros and cons to to all sorts of uh, positions and companies, uh, but yeah, the pros that you described, you know, by far outweigh the the nuisance uh, cons that you are describing. So that's pretty cool.
0: When I can't get my printer to work, sometimes I wonder, but only for yeah. about a, a half a second, right before I rip the jam out or finally get it connected to the network.
1: So Ben, you know, a lot of our listeners are CDOs, CIOs, and payer side and provider side life sciences. And, you know, we're always thinking about, boy, how do we stay ahead of digital transformation? You know, all the buzzwords, but, you know, how, you know there's, so there's been this movement in the last few years of more interest in working with startups, understanding what's coming in Silicon Valley and sort of what's in the pipeline. But for your average CIO, CDO, they, they probably don't spend a lot of time in this particular area thinking about these newer companies and such. What, what are your recommendations for, I call it a postmodern CDO, CIO to, to learn about uh, digital transformation or you know what's coming what's coming down you know is it things like JP Morgan is it talking to you and your colleagues what, what's some of the words of advice that you would give
0: I think being committed to learning about it is really important and reading as much as you can about the industry and who's doing interesting things so I read I get a number of newsletters and which I try to keep on top of to see what are some interesting solutions I think you'd ask me what's important, to be a customer of those companies, or potential customer. It's be, I shouldn't have to say this, be honest and considerate to these vendors. Uh, if you ultimately, if you decide pretty soon we need a more mature company, just say, hey, you're too early stage for us. This isn't gonna work. So they can move on with their lives. Um, every so, or if it's just not a great fit. I, I try to be proactive in my own business about that is i will say to potential clients if i don't see a great fit i'll be if i get the sense from them that this might not be a great fit i'll often say you know i love sushi and i love pasta and sometimes you just want sushi and the best carbonara is not going to do it and it doesn't make pasta any worse than sushi it's just not a fit for what you feel like or need at the time and let companies realize that um i get a little jaded Honestly, hopefully this isn't too iconoclastic. Um, With some of the attention being paid to digital transformation and innovation, where I think there needs to be more rapid adoption of things that work. I read recently, it takes 17 years for new medical development to enter clinical practice. Um, A great example of that is, remember the checklist manifesto that came out? Okay, Atul Gawande popularized it exceptionally well, but it was Peter Pradavas before that who started talking about it, and even before that, I took a course in 1990 on using uh, Deming theory and continuous quality improvement in healthcare, and more years later than I'm comfortable saying, they're still talking about it as if it's radical. Um, I just read about a study that showed brushing patients' teeth can reduce hospital-acquired pneumonia by as much as 80%. That's not as sexy as a new smartphone app that does something for patient outreach, but 80%? Wow. Uh, so I'd like to see a little more... And it, it, I make my living advising healthcare technology companies, uh, so there's maybe this is a conflict, uh, but I think... Focusing less on disruption and innovation and a little more on efficacy and actionable and adoption is something that just still needs to happen. But hospitals don't have seven-figure chief digital, chief adoption officers, but they do have seven-figure chief digital officers.
1: Oh, there's a slight pause because I was just laughing as uh, Ben Fitzgerald. Ben's riffing here on and being the iconoclast that he is, which we're going to talk about here in a second. Cause I had to look up that word myself. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, you're right, Ben, that the problem isn't that we don't have enough great ideas and money invested. The problem is we just aren't executing. Right. We're coming up with all sorts of reasons why we, we, we don't take, uh, we don't take manageable risk. We, we, we don't want to, uh, you know, <clears throat> offend someone in our organization by going a different direction than what they want to do. And pretty soon nothing really happens. And, and meanwhile, we got all this great technology that could really help save people's lives and some very simple things, like the example you gave with toothbrushing. And, uh, and we don't do anything. Uh, that, that's the travesty, right? Um, so I, I hear you there. Hey, Iconoclast, I know that you, you, uh, are, you describe yourself, you yourself your advisor, strategist, Iconoclast. Can you share a little bit about uh, what that means to be a iconoclast? Although I think you just gave a great example
0: for us. So Iconoclast literally means a destroyer of idols and icons. And I don't know why I added that to my LinkedIn profile. I did it over a decade ago uh, because I think it's important um, for better or for worse. Um, my parents told me that even when I was a child, I did not have an issue with speaking truth to power. Um, and that didn't necessarily always serve me when I was an investment banker, because CEOs expect to hear that they're the best thing ever. Right. Um, and I would be honest, which sometimes irritated my colleagues. I can still remember their eye, a colleagues' eyes widening when I said something to a potential client, who incidentally hired me at another uh, when I was in another firm. So I think... <laughs> they appreciated it. But I, I think you don't have to be a jerk about it. And I try not to be a jerk about it. I try really hard not to be a jerk about it. But I think the another word for iconoclasm to me is intellectual integrity, which is a really core value and a core belief. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my first JP Morgan on my own, uh, after I left banking, I was at some cocktail party. And hanging out with a a bunch of investors, and one turned to another and said, "I always liked Ben when he was a banker because he'd tell me what he really thought about companies." Like, yeah, I I didn't realize intellectual integrity was a a competitive advantage, but I'm glad that it is.
1: Yeah, I I call it truth telling. I I want always say I want to be surrounded by truth tellers. You know, as an executive, I want the people around me to tell me the truth. And if you can't, then I really don't want you to around me. so it's very similar. And Ben, you know, some of the advice you gave me four years ago was iconocastic, if that's the correct use of the of the word, and uh, and it helped steer some of my decisions. So thank you for oh. for being that
0: truth teller. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. you. I'm I'm speech. I'm characteristically speak- speechless. Uh, that <laughs> no, makes no my day. Thank you.
1: I I remember it, exactly where I was uh, on the phone uh, and the exact conversation. I, I remember a lot of detail about it. All right, so Ben, I've been up there. Sonoma's beautiful. Um, And of course, you got all the wine in the world, good wines. Um, But what do you do to recharge your batteries and remain fresh? Do you hang out in Sonoma or do you go places? What do you do? do?
0: Well, it's been tough since COVID, of course. Uh, And when I was splitting my pre-COVID, I was splitting my time between the city and Sonoma. Uh, But to recharge, uh, well, I've been, my first date with my wife was my 19th birthday. So we've been together for quite some time and being with her is really uh, a big recharger and she keeps me fresh. Um, I really like to read. Uh, I would say 90% of what I read has either dragons, spaceships, or murders. In it. <laughs> so that kind of brain candy is really fun for me. Uh, I really like travel. Uh, took a great trip in November before health. And uh, on that trip, as, as my wife said, we, we saw things, we learned things and we ate things, which were three, pretty awesome things. So I think
1: those are, the, those are the things I do. Yeah, that's that's a lot of fun. Well, look, we, we covered a lot of area, Ben. We talked really about what ST Advisors is about. And then we also talked about what CIOs, CDOs could do to make sure that they're kind of staying in the know, understand what's happening, take advantage of some of those things. But, but our main point on that was really about the execution of, of, and the adoption of technology, not necessarily trying to grab more and more. Um, And then we talked a little bit just on a, on a personal level on the Iconocast and, you know, what you do to recharge those sort of things. What would you like to double down on, or is there something that I missed that you wanted to share with our audience before we wrap up?
0: So I'll loop back to the playlist question um, as I was thinking about it. I really, as I said, I really like Broadway and I just rewatched the musical Matilda, uh, which is on Netflix. There's a really fun Broadway musical adaptation on Netflix that just dropped. Not my favorite musical, but she sings this great song saying sometimes you have to, she sings about Jack and Jill went up the hill and this was bad thing was going to happen and Romeo and Juliet and this thing was going to happen. And she sings this song and the line is sometimes you have to change your story and I really believe that. Sometimes you need to take ownership and change your story. If you don't like the reality you're in, you need to change your story. I didn't like being a research analyst and I changed my story and became a banker and I changed it to to do ST advisors. So that's a, a great lesson from musical theater. No,
1: I, I get it. You you definitely wanna change your story. I think that's really great advice to end up on because so many people they just struggle and struggle and they just they don't they don't take the action you know we talked about that earlier right in context of technology they don't take the action to execute or adopt something new so they just stay in the same old place and and their story never changes and so like Ben like you pointed out uh, vis-a-vis uh, Broadway Matilda uh, you have to change your story
0: because life's too short to drink bad wine there we go I <laughs> tied it back to the mantra there
1: you go this is full circle if you, you heard it here first. Hey, Ben, thanks so much. It really insightful because I, I don't think a lot of people know, you know, what what happens, you know, in Silicon Valley area and all the tech and investments and advising that goes on. And um, so, so your insights were really uh, helpful. So thank you so much. It
0: was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: That wraps up Digital Voices.
0: Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.